This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Good morning. I participated earlier this morning in a 9-11 ceremony uh, the town of Nags Head hosted and uh, I was, I was asked, uh, because I needed to be in uniform for that, are you going to wear your uniform to church? And I thought, well, I'm never going to wear my uniform to church. Today is the day. Um, as we're here today to honor the memory and the heroism, uh, not only of the events of 9-11, but another day as well. For, for the public safety community, and we're going to recognize you in just a moment, um, September the 11th, uh, or Patriot Day, uh, is kind of for the public safety community what Veterans Day and Memorial Days are for the United States military. And so uh, we're here uh, today to remember uh, and to honor that first day that we're going to talk about this morning was 10 years ago. And if we would go around the room this morning, if we had the time to go and just ask everybody in the room who was living then, I'd see some young people that may not have been uh, around them, but all of those of us who are a little bit older, ask each one of us, where were you when you first heard the news of what happened on September the 11th, 2001? Every single one of us uh, could answer that question and tell, here's where I was. Gail and I were at her dad's uh, apartment in uh, Portsmouth. He had passed away 12 days earlier, and we were tidying up his business and his affairs, and uh, he lived the block from the entrance to Portsmouth Naval Hospital, and it wasn't very long before the barricades were set up as security measures were put in force in all of our military installations. And I remember seeing all that uh, take place, and as you did, watching all of that on the television. It was one of those once-in-a-generation events that really changes the course of our collective lives. Those of us who live in the United States, we know full and well that our lives as a country changed that day. Every generation has those kinds of days, I think. In my generation, Sam, we, we can go back and we can remember where we were on November 22nd, 1963, when we heard the news that President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I remember getting off the school bus, and my next-door neighbor's mom running to the school bus to tell us what had happened. I remember that. My parents and my grandparents' generation would go back to December 7, 1941, and say, I remember that Sunday morning when on the radio we heard the news that the Japanese had invaded the United States and bombed Pearl Harbor and took us into World War II. Every one of us this morning, I guess, can recall the shock and the horror we felt as we watched the events of 9-11 unfold live on television. Planes were crashing into buildings, eventually bringing them down, and, and we saw the madness on the streets of lower Manhattan as thousands and thousands of New Yorkers ran as a confused, frightened mask in a cloud of pulverized steel and concrete. We saw the horrific sight beyond anything we, we had ever witnessed before as we saw people who were hopelessly trapped in these skyscrapers trying to avoid the sure death of the fire 
cast themselves out of windows to the streets below to assure death as they landed. We saw that as it happened. The wreckage of a jet as it crashed into the Pentagon, then the the one that crashed into a field in rural Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania when courageous passengers said, hey, you know, we're not going to allow this plane to be hijacked and go into Washington. We're going to do something about it now. We can all remember that morning as we saw on television the look on our president's face. Remember as he was in a classroom of children in Florida reading a story to them and an aide came to him and whispered in his ear, said, Mr. President, we're under attack. I'll never forget his expression. Our leader was, you could see it on his face. We saw a visibly shaken Mayor Giuliani walking through the streets of Manhattan, attempting frantically to pull his devastated city together. What happened in the days to follow was something unlike I had ever experienced in my generation as we saw this country, once the initial disbelief of what had taken place as our nation had been attacked, once that disbelief had been worn off, we showed our resolve and we showed our patriotism because it seemed that every American, I was one of them and probably you were too, somewhere, somehow we found an American flag. We put it up in front of our house, or we put it up in our business, or we attached it to our automobile, and everywhere you turn, you could not escape a sea of red, white, and blue. And as the numbers began to filter into us through the, through the news, the media, and telling us about, about the numbers of people that died, the, the solemnity of that day, it revealed to us the heroism of the firefighters and uh, the police officers, the EMT paramedics of New York City. Very soon it seemed, within days it seemed like, not only did you see American flags everywhere, but it seemed like the letters FDNY became the most popular branded logo, even more so than Nike, I think, then. As we bought and wore T-shirts and ball caps as one way of honoring those heroes. A year later, I happened to be in New York City visiting my brother, and I said, I've got to go down to what we then knew as Ground Zero, and I took the subway into New York City and went to Lower Manhattan and and, uh, walked around and saw where the buildings had been and saw the chain-link fence around covered with pictures and little homemade memorials all over the place, and and, and it it had become a sacred place. It was a quiet place. That was my priority on that trip. Get down to see that. My second priority was while you're down there, you go find a street vendor somewhere who's selling a FDNY ball cap and you get one of those and put it on your head. Some stats from that day. On that day in New York City, 343 firefighters and paramedics died. 23 New York Police Department officers died and another 27 New York Port Authority officers died that day. Why'd they die? They died attempting to save those who were in the buildings. And as they entered the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center, their goal was simple. What was the goal of these men and women who died? Their goal was simply search and rescue. 
Let's get into the building. Let's find whoever we can. Let's get them out. Find those trapped in the burning inferno and bring them out to safety. And you and I, especially as they've been on television every night for the past couple of weeks, we've seen the films and the documentaries and we've heard the witnesses tell their stories and you've heard survivors laud the selfless actions of the men and women in public safety who went in to those buildings when everyone else in their right minds was trying to get out, who went up instead of going down when going down was the only way to live. Why did they do so? They did so because, very simply, it was their job. It's what they do. And many would have told you if they, those that survived and those that did not would have, would have told you if you could ask them, why did you do that? And many would say words like this, because that's my calling. It's what I do, what I'm supposed to do. My calling in life to be a cop, to be a firefighter, to be a paramedic. And the truth of the matter is nobody made a single one of those men or women put that uniform on that day. They did so willingly. They did what they were supposed to do, and it ended up costing them their lives. So today, we are reminded that we will not forget their sacrifices. As I said this morning before I came to church at 9, I attended, participated in a ceremony honoring those who died and those who continue to serve. I want us to do the same here today, I know we have some folks here with us this morning. If you either serve or have served, or you are an immediate family member of someone who has or does served in public safety, whether it be fire service, law enforcement, or EMS, uh, we want to say thank you to you. Would you stand with me right now so we can recognize you and say thank you? If you're serving in public, just stand to your feet. Will you do that right now? Thank you. God bless you. As I, as I looked around the room to see who was here, we had a big crowd of folks last gathering that stood to, today. Today we have firefighters, we have paramedics, we have, we have telecommunicators, the 9-11 folks. Um, we have, I said paramedics, we have, we have lifeguards, we have police officers right here in this crowd today. So we honor you. Thank you for what you do. You are our protectors as you come to our rescue without pause. You are our heroes, and we at Nags Head Church both welcome you and thank you again for all that you do. Those of us who are parents, and that's a good many of us here this morning, you understand what I'm about to say. Those, if, until you're a parent, you really don't, can't catch this. But once, once you hold that child in your, in your hands for the very first time, and you realize this person is my responsibility, that God's given to me to raise and to nurture, to love and to protect. Parents understand this, that every parent would willingly sacrifice ourselves if it meant saving the lives of our children, wouldn't we? We'd do it. Second nature for parents. But what makes a person risk his life or her life to save the life of another? especially if that other person is a complete stranger. I don't even know that person. What makes someone willing to do that? 
And I'm not sure that I'm qualified to answer that question. But again, I think if we ask those who are present today who serve in public safety, and I hang out with these folks a lot, uh, the question, what makes, a, what makes you do what you do? What makes you put that uniform on? What makes you respond to that alarm? What makes you go into a situation where you're not sure what you're going to meet when you find there, and it could be really bad? What makes you willing to do that? You might hear in response words such as, it's my duty, it's my calling, it's my purpose. And I know, because I do know them, I know that none of them hopes that one day they can die in the line of duty. In fact, around the firehouse, we have an expression that says, everybody comes home. Everybody gets back. We don't leave anybody there. Everybody gets back to the house. Nobody hopes they die. Every one of them hopes, their spouses, their loved ones hope as well that at the end of their shift, they come home every time. Yet, they don't know that, but they're still willing to go. They're still willing to sacrifice. There's a second day in history, more than nine years ago, second day this morning that I want to call us to remember as well. It draws some amazing parallels to 9-11, yet it's even more awesome and more sobering in its scope. So I want you, instead of rewinding back 10 years, let's rewind the tape back 2,000 years. And instead of going to New York City, I want us to go to the city of Jerusalem. And there were some similarities between that spring afternoon in the city of Jerusalem and that September Tuesday morning in New York. Some differences as well. So I want us to consider them this morning. First of all, one similarity was this. Humanity was trapped with only one way out. But instead of thousands being trapped in a burning, collapsing skyscraper and and needing someone to save them as it was on 9-11 in the city, outside the city of Jerusalem, it was all of humanity, however many billions of us that has been since Adam and Eve up till today, all of humanity was trapped and there was only one way out. The Bible tells us that all of us are trapped by a condition and the Bible uses the scriptural term for it as sin. It's very simply our nature to rebel against God. And all of us do it. Some of us better than others. But all of us are sinners. Isaiah chapter 56, 53, verse 6. We sang this a little while ago. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. All of us are we're in that same building, if you will, trapped by our sin. And that rebellion, whether it's just one little lie that breaks God, God's law or could it be a thousand other things, that rebellion puts us in peril, all of us. And our condition was hopeless. There was nothing we could do. You picture those folks in those buildings. There was nothing we could do to save ourselves. We were trapped unless a rescue was made. Another similarity is very simply, search and rescue was sent to the scene. It didn't take long after that first plane crashed at 8.46 in the morning into one of those towers. It wasn't very long. In fact, it was probably less than a minute before the first 
fire engine, the first police car, the first ambulance began to roll out and respond to the scene once everybody realized something bad has happened. The Bible tells us that on that day in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, search and rescue was sent to the scene. How did that happen? God devised the plan to save us because he loved us. We are his creation. The Bible says you and I are made in his image to fellowship with him, to bring him glory. That's his whole purpose for making us. He wanted us to be around, to do those things, to fellowship, to bring him glory. But our sin broke that fellowship, severed that relationship that God desired. But unlike so many of us that we do when someone severs relationships with others or breaks that fellowship by doing something against us and we cut them off, God never did. God never left us. We left him, but he wanted us back. That's where Jesus, God's son, who came to earth in human form, that's where he enters the picture in in this earthly Story. He, he said it very simply and plainly. Jesus said his mission, why he came to this earth, was to search and to rescue. He said, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. In a burning building filled with smoke, such as one of the Twin Towers, It's not like what you see on TV when you see a movie or a television show about a building that's burning on fire and the firefighters go in and the camera follows them in and you see everything that's going on. Firefighters tell me that when you go into a building that's burning, it's on fire and you're smoking that building, you can't see a thing. It's black with smoke. And that's why they go in and they have a a strategy, they have a plan, they have a system to go in and to get out. They carry a hose in with them, but that hose is not just for spraying water on the fire. You know what else that hose serves a purpose to do? That hose is their lifeline. It tells them, here's how, here's how we get out. We can't see. We follow the hose. They even know how it's connected, and they know by the connections on the hose which way is out and which way is in. And on that day in Jerusalem, there we were trapped in this building And all way of escape was impossible. Our sin blinded us like that smoke in a burning building, blinded us from any escape from our lostness. So it was absolutely necessary that one could come who knew not only the way in, but knew the way out. So God sent Jesus to come to our rescue. The thing about it is with Jesus, he knew going in. Our rescue required his sacrifice. He knew that going in, he could come in and he could rescue us, but he knew that in the attempt to do so, the effort to do so would cost him his life. He knew that he would die doing so. Jesus had to trade his life for ours, but before he went to the cross, the day before, the night before, as he was meeting with his having a gathering with his apostles and they had the last supper and so forth, he made this statement to those men, John 15, 13. It was on the screen right before the video. He very simply said, the greatest love a person can show is to die for his friends. Yet Jesus even 
took it further than that. If that's the greatest love, then what kind of love is it that Jesus gave that day? Because we have to remember, we were not his friends. We were rebellious against him. That's why we were trapped. But still, he loved us. He loved us enough to die in our places. The Apostle Paul to the Romans explained it this way. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, he said, When we were utterly helpless, pictured those people in that building, that's you and me. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing, Paul said, to die for an upright person. I don't think I would. My kids, yeah. You, probably not. Sorry. Most people, he said, Paul knew some people with greater character than I have, I guess, would die, be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might be perhaps willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God, contrasting God for most people, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were still rebellious, while we, please understand, we're still his enemies. Here's the great difference that I see in the heroism and sacrifice of 9-11, and what a great, I just have nothing but thanks and admiration for those men and women, please understand, but there's something different from what they did and what Jesus did, and that's this. Those Jesus rescues, those he comes in to get and shows the way out, all live. They all live for eternity. They're given everlasting life. You know, it's sad that that the New York firefighters and police officers went into those buildings and we know the stories. We know from the radio communication that was heard, we know they found men and women who were trapped in the buildings, but many of them before they could get out of the buildings, either from fire, from being trapped further, from the collapse of the building, they died. The rescuers came but could not get them out. The rescuers died as well. With Jesus, here's the deal. If you accept his rescue, he says, I guarantee you escape. I guarantee you everlasting life. You see, he died in that rescue so that you and I could live. Peter wrote it this way. Christ himself died for you. That means died in your place. And that one death, one death, one person's death paid for your sins. He wasn't guilty. He didn't have to go in. He didn't belong in there. But he died for those who are guilty. And he did this to bring you all, to bring us all to God. There's another difference that I see, however, in the story. With the similarities, here's another difference. With Jesus' death, it only took, with Jesus, it only took his death, no one else's, to save any and all who want the rescue that he offers. He was the only one qualified. That once and for all act of love and sacrifice that Jesus did is something that you and I as Christians those of you who are believers in Christ today, we are commanded by him 
to remember. We began the message by saying we will never forget 9-11, but we will always remember the cross. And perhaps the greatest visual reminder of his sacrifice is when we come together as a body of believers and observe communion. In communion, the bread that we eat reminds us of his body that was sacrificed, that was nailed to the cross, that experienced death. The wine, the juice reminds us of his blood that was shed. Communion is a time, just like September 11th, is a time we look back 10 years ago today. It's a time we remember and we see those images and we think about what the heroism and the sacrifice and the horror Communion is a time where we as Christians do the same, but we look farther back. We look back to a cross outside the city of Jerusalem, and we remember the sacrifice, and we remember the heroism. We remember the act of love. We remember the horror of that death that Jesus died on our behalf. We're told in Scripture that communion isn't for everyone. However, We're told that anyone who can honestly say to God, I have believed, I have by faith trusted in your son Jesus as my Savior is welcome to participate. I truly believe in my heart that they're just like we have evidence of our our first birth. I have a, and you have as well, probably somewhere, a gift, uh, a gift, a birth certificate that says, this is when you were born, this is where you were born, this is how much you weighed, this is who your parents were, even the doctor's signature is probably on there. It says, you were born. It was a moment in history. It was an event that took place in your life. I also believe there needs to be an event, a similar but different event in the life of everyone where you have a new birth. You may not get a certificate for it. You really don't other than your name is written down in a book in heaven, the Bible says. You don't possess a certificate, but there's a change that's happened in your life if you've had that new birth. And I believe that that everyone needs to experience that. The moment of belief for me happened in my life and when I was a 10-year-old boy when I finally heard, even though I went to church every week and we were a religious family, but I finally heard and understood that it wasn't about my parents' faith. It wasn't about being good. It wasn't even about being religious. It was about my need, myself, or me to accept Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection as God's payment and proof and provision for my own sins. A friend of mine is a preacher Wally Odom used to pastor here in the Outer Banks. He posted something on his Facebook page this week, and I I said, as soon as he posted it, I said, Wally, I'm going to steal that because it it fits so well in my message this coming Sunday as I talk about Christ and his sacrifice. Wally wrote this. Some people have such a distorted view of God. They won't open their hearts to him because they're afraid he's come to punish them. God hasn't come to hurt us. He sent his son to save us. He doesn't want any of us to perish. The cross is God's proof that he has done everything he can to rescue us. Now, I don't know everybody here, and even those of you that I do know, 
It's not my job to look into your hearts and see who's there and who's not. But maybe you've never had that experience of rebirth. When God accepts your faith in him and he removes the penalty of your sin and grants you forgiveness and gives you his everlasting life. And if that's you today and you say, I realize that and I want that to be changed. Well, before we go on, I would like to invite you to right now where you sit with the very simple faith of a child to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. God's given him. God sent him. You're in the trap building burning. He's come in to take you out. He wants to lead you out and give you his life. Receive what he's done. Accept what he's done. Believe that he's done that for you. So what I'd like for us to do right now is very simply all of us to bow our heads and close our eyes and have a moment of private time as you look into your own heart and ask yourself the question, has there been a time in my life Was there a, I know there was a birth, but has there been a rebirth? I know that for sure. If you don't know that for sure. And you'd say, but I I want to know Jesus as my Savior. You're lost and you want to be found. You're trapped and you want to be rescued. And right now you're simply saying as best you know how, Jesus Christ, I'm trusting you to be my Savior. And I'm trusting nothing else, not religion, not parentage, not heritage, not my own goodness. None of that matters. I'm trusting in you alone for eternal life. And I'm doing that right now. I want that new birth. I want to be rescued. I want to know that heaven is my eternal destiny. I want to know that God has forgiven my past. And right now today, you're accepting him as Savior. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I just want to pray for you, not going to embarrass you in any way, not going to make you stand or walk or do anything. I just want to pray for you. If that's you and you're saying, I'm doing that this moment, today, right now, Jesus has become my Savior because I've believed in him. Would you just slip your hand up in the air so I can see? Nobody's looking but God and me. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else at all? So look around. Thank you, God. For your compassion and your love as you looked at mankind and we were trapped with no way out. The flames were all about us as, we were, as it were, cutting off any escape. Nothing we could do. But you loved us. Even though we had rebelled against you. And your son Jesus stepped up to the plate and said, I'll go and In his perfection, he came to this earth and was born as an innocent baby and grew up and lived the life that he did and taught the things that he did. And then, innocent of any crime, of any sin, he was nailed to a cross to save us, to die our death, to take our place. Three days later, he raised him from the dead to prove that it was true. And we thank you for that gift. And we pray, God, that you'll help us to always remember as we're about to do so today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Our ushers are coming to pass out trays of bread and, and cups. 
If you're a believer in Jesus, whether it's been like me for 45 years or maybe it's only been for you a few seconds, you're invited to participate with us. If you're not sure about this yet, I don't know if I'm accepting that yet or not, I'd like to invite you to participate with us by just simply passing the tray on to the next person. No one will think anything of it. I'll be reading from Luke 22, 14 through 20. And when the hour had come, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And having taken a cup, when he had given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And having taken some bread, when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is a new covenant in my blood. Jesus gave us this as a remember, as a, rem- a reminder, a memorial. Um, we have many memorials. Uh, one of the most um, memorable is uh, Pearl Harbor. Um, many soldiers and sailors died there. Um, also, we have Ground Zero, the Pentagon, a field in Pennsylvania. Jesus gave us this memorial, the bread and the cup, to remember what he has done for us. Pearl Harbor and Ground Zero, these are memorials to those who died because someone hated them. The bread and the cup is a memorial because Jesus died for us so that we could have eternal life with him. As we go to this time for the bread and the cup, let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for the, uh, the bread that represents your body that was broken, the cup, your blood that was drained for us. We thank you that you have provided this, uh, this memorial, this remembrance of you and for what you have done for us. We, uh, I just thank you for it. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. He took the uh, bread, and he said, eat all of it. He took the cup, and he said, drink all of it. If you would pass your cups to the west, our gatherers will pick those up. When we do our communion service, we um, take up a benevolence offering. And that offering goes to help um, our church members as well as our community with needs they have, especially now with the storm that we've had. And there's many needs that we um, have requests of and we need to help with. And this offering is set up for that, to help those in need. Um, our gatherers are coming to um, take up that offering. Let's go to him in prayer for that offering. Father, with the storms we've had, with the uh, uh, time now that we've had to remember what you've done for us, we have an opportunity to realize that you've given so much for us. It gives us an opportunity to give so others can have something in their time of need. We thank you for uh, this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet 
at nagsedchurch.org.